Hey, so we've been on this theme the past few weeks about love. And Easter was kind of like the pinnacle for us, right? All you need is love. And we focused in on love. And last week, Emery spoke about this love as well. And I think it's so beautiful, too, that all the songs we've been saying today are about this love, this love of God. Well, really felt in my heart that God wanted us to continue on with this theme this week as we transition into what we're going to be looking forward to the next few weeks. Um, well, there's a story in the Bible. It's actually one of the most beautiful love stories in the Bible. But I think it's one that a lot of people aren't even aware of. And a lot of us forget about it just because of the nature of the story. Thank you, Ken. You guys are amazing. Thank you. But tell you what, we, I want to get into this love story. I feel that it's, it's quite profound. It's, I really believe it's going to bless you. It's going to touch your heart. As I read through it, I just, just mind blown. It's wrecked me multiple times this week. But as we begin, let's just pray if we can. Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is near. And like Lee said, nothing can separate us from your love. So I ask in this, these very moments that we have together that you would open our eyes to your love. That you'd speak to us, God, that we would be able to uh, yeah, just look at your love in a new and fresh way and who you are. And therefore, because of who you are, who we are. So we thank you, we commit this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so how many of you are familiar with the book of Hosea? Not a whole lot of hands, okay. It's okay. Hosea, and Hosea is a minor prophet, what we refer to as a minor prophet. Not so minor, he's like actually, the book is larger than the book of Daniel, one of the larger books of the minor prophets. Um, but this story actually takes place 750 years before Jesus was on earth. And Hosea actually follows the prophet of prophet Amos. Now, Hosea was the one and only prophet that actually came out of the northern kingdom of Israel. What I mean by northern kingdom of Israel is that, see, during David and King Solomon, Israel and Judah were bound together, and they were together and united. And it was the strongest that the kingdom had ever been. But once Solomon had died, there was a civil dispute that took place in the kingdom. And what happened as a result of the civil dispute is that there's like a bit of a shift, a schism, and like it broke the two kingdoms apart. Israel had its capital, and that was in Samaria. And then Judah had its capital, and that was in Jerusalem. And the people kind of didn't really see eye to eye anymore. There was a lot of friction between the two groups. Although they're all God's people and the people of Israel, they actually, because of the areas they're from, because of who they are marrying, because of who they are around, there started to become this friction. Well, that's when God called Hosea. Now, in the Old Testament, I'm sure we can read through all of the prophets, and you might see that some of the prophets had very peculiar assignments from God. Like a lot of the prophets weren't just these oracles that God spoke through to the people, right? They didn't just speak God's word. A lot of the prophets actually had to live out the prophecy that God gave them. Now, 
Fortunately, unfortunately for Hosea, Hosea's uh, assignment was probably the most unique, possibly the oddest, possibly the, uh, yeah, most not, not really a favorable one. So I'd love to begin the stories. I just want to bring you on this journey. I really want you to hear this story for like it's new. I want to take a journey and picture as though we're traveling, we are in the northern kingdom of Israel. Biblical times, and we meet this man, Hosea. And we're kind of standing here watching the narrative take place where God speaks to this young man who is a passionate preacher, who's so zealous and full of excitement, and he's very like contagious and just enthusiastic, and he's filled with all this excitement. And God speaks to him, and he says, Hosea, I have your assignment for you. Should you agree or disagree, here it is. He says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. Okay. I could just imagine this young man, he's probably like, okay, I thought that you would have asked me to like do something else. Marry a prostitute. Okay. Church. Picture with me, if you will, Hosea during this time would have been one of the more notable figures in Israel, especially in the northern kingdom. He was not just a Pharisee. He was not just a man who worked in the temple. He was a prophet of God. He was an oracle, what they called it, of God. And what that means is that God himself would speak through this man. And this God would tell everybody what God wanted to communicate to them. So he was a very notable, you know, notable person in the community. So imagine him and what's going through his head in this moment when God says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And he's like, doesn't really jive, I guess, initially with what I thought this whole thing was about. Maybe not what I signed up for. God, this might be a little embarrassing. What are people going to think? I'm like this man of God. I'm representing you. And you want me to do this? Interesting. You want me to do this? This is weird. But he does. And her name is Gomer. Gomer. (laughs) Poor thing, right? It's okay, you can laugh. So marriage starts to go well. Gomer falls pregnant and conceives a boy. And they have their first child together, a little boy. And shortly thereafter, Gomer has another child, sweet little girl. Jose is now the proud dad of two babies, a boy and a girl. And then out of nowhere, she falls pregnant again with a third child. And now Jose, this man of God who married this woman who used to be a prostitute, but now like he was obedient and he listened to God and he went and married her. Now they have three beautiful children. He's probably saying like, okay, God, this is working out. It was all until one day. One day when Hosea gets up and for some reason Gomer's not around. He goes and he finds all three kids and the children are there, but he starts wandering around and he's like, 
Where is she? And you can imagine in this moment, Hosea, a million things are running through his mind thinking, where is she? Where is she okay? Oh no, did the worst happen? Like, Or is she, did she go back into what she used to do, her old lifestyle? What's going on? What's going on? And then he realizes she's actually gone. This man of God. Running and the woman he loves, the mother of his children that he's passionate about, is gone and has left. He thinks, what? I'm a man of God, and what are people going to think? I already dealt with it, the initial phase of this, and going through this all, and we married, and we were happy, and we're having kids, and then now she's gone, and what's that going to look like? I'm a man of God, and I can't even be able to keep my wife at home and keep her happy? I can just imagine what's going through this young man's mind. Imagine the days and nights going by, really struggling with this, like, God, I listened to you, but look at what happened. Does that sound familiar? Have any of you ever shouted out and cried out to God? God, I listened to you, but what is going on? How are you in this? I listened and I thought I was doing what was right and look at where it's gotten me. God answers him. He says, Hosea, go and find Gomer. I want you to go and find her and not just find her. I want you to marry her again. Wow. I just can't imagine the weight. This man who is faith-filled and has seen God move and speak through him, and is, he's seen the wonderful things that God has done. And although the kingdom is kind of disoriented in this moment, he's, he's questioning, what's, what's this about? But Hosea says, okay, again. This is where we're going to pick up in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Odd raisin cakes, right? <laughs> what the heck? It's hard to read that and not get thrown off and like, raisin like, I did multiple times, and I'm, like, trying to think, like, what kind of raisin cake was it? Like, I don't like raisins. So. But in other words, so, like, raisin cakes, the more you research, you'll see that raisin cakes were used in idol worship. It was used as a sacrifice. And they're quite familiar with these raisin cakes, that they use these in idolatry and worship. What this statement really says is that Israel, who was consumed and kind of birthed out of God, the God of Israel, had actually become quite consumed with other things. No longer did he have their attention and their affection. Their affection began to go to other things and everything else in society. And they started to worship other things and put passions into inanimate objects and understand that there's, well, love, yeah, God is love, but um, it's a lot easier to find love in other directions and I could just find wherever it makes me happy and that's love. That's what love should be, right? 
on the outside, the kingdom was not hurting. Although divided in two in Israel and Judah, north and south, you still had on the outside, it was picturesque, it was growing, it was thriving. People were loving. But behind the scenes, behind the scenes, they were unfulfilled. There's a brokenness. There's actually this innate yearning and desire for more. So God sees what's going on. And through Hosea, he says, it's like him saying to Israel, you know what I'm going to do, Israel? You know what I'm going to do? I'm about to model to you what real love is. I'm going to show you I'm the God of love. I am love, and I've always loved you and cherished you. But I'm going to show you how reckless my love is and how passionately I pursue you. And I'm going to speak through Hosea. So Hosea goes and looks for Gomer. I could just imagine this man, the prophet of God, man of God. Everybody knew who he was. Even the kids would know who he was. And I could just see him, and what? Is he just hanging his head, walking down the streets till he starts to get to that part of the city that no prophet of God should be in that part of the city? He starts to wander and walk looking for, walk around looking for his wife, looking for Gomer, and looking around street corners and trying to find his wife in areas, again, that just keeps getting rougher and rougher. And he knows the area that he's going into. And his wife is being sex trafficked. She's being sold into sex slavery. Many historians actually say that in this moment that he didn't just walk upon a sale, that he actually walked into an auction. That weight of seeing this man who was obedient and married her and fell in love, madly in love with her, and they had three beautiful children, and he's so broken because she left. You feel the weight as he's walking. I don't care what people think about me. They're going to say stuff, but I'm going to find her. With all that I am, I'm going to find her. And then he walks up and he sees his wife for sale. I just pictured Gomer in that moment. She's probably, what, just standing there and imagine as soon as she sees Hosea, she must feel broken. She probably can't even look at him. He's like, that's my wife. And there's probably a man saying, I don't care who you think she is, but she's mine now. You need to pay for her. His own wife. Let's read verse 2 in chapter 3. He says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. He bought her. A lot of historians like to say that there's meaning behind the silver and the wheat and everything, but I look at this and I tell you what, church, I cannot help but see this picture and understand if this is an auction or he's buying her. Like, why the silver and the barley? It was actually like hundreds of pounds of barley. But this really leads me to believe that Hosea wasn't made of money. He was a prophet. So he gave everything he had, but then he also took 
everything from home. Any possession he had, every last piece of grain even, and he brings it and sets it there to buy his wife back. Imagine him paying for his own wife. Do you see the parallel there? So many ways it's like God paying the ultimate price for his creation. See, God created us and therefore we are his creation. But yet he paid with his own son. He gave up everything. So Hosea pays for her. Let's go to verse 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave in the same way toward you. This is not him dictating anything to Gomer. This is Hosea renewing his vows with his wife, saying how much he loves her. I don't care what you were, but I look at you and I call you my wife. You are the mother of my children and I love you. And you will be faithful, but I'm going to back this. I'm not just saying you're going to be faithful. I'm going to do everything and more. And I'm going to show you I'm going to be so faithful to, to you as well. I'm going to carry my end of the bargain. How would we respond in that moment? I think about that and I feel like even at some points I think about it so visually like I'm right there and I see this going on and I see Hosea who is this author, you know, authoritative young prophet of God that God himself spoke through and I can see that his tone has changed and it's not just this authoritative tone anymore but there's tears in his eyes and it went from just this Authority and telling people what they need to do and who God was to so broken and saying, I love you and I'm going to do anything and everything for you. You're my wife. Let's read verse 4. In this very moment, the Spirit of God comes upon him. It says, For the Israelites, this is God now speaking through Hosea. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. What this means, like he's going through and naming everything. Ephod, like a lot of people are familiar with scripture. That's like a vest that priests would wear, but it was actually also images used in idol worship. And that's what he's referring to. He's saying basically there's going to be a new Day, you're going to go through this without king or prince, but without sacrifice. There's not going to be any more of that. There's not going to be any more of that stuff. Verse 5, he says, Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They, come, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. David? Wasn't David already dead? David was already dead by this time, but Hosea 
wasn't really referring literally to King David. See, um, Hosea did not yet know the name Jesus. So he said, there's going to be a day when you turn back to the Lord your God and to the son of David who will be the prince. I'd like to read with you, if we can, Ezekiel chapter 34. When God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, he said, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them. He will tend to them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them, for I, the Lord, have spoken. That was another prophet. Let's go to one more in Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 5. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah at a different point in time and says, In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together, together united, will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and they will turn their faces toward it. They will come bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 starts off saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. So Hosea in this very moment is prophesying about a new day. He's prophesying about a new covenant. One where there is no longer fear of what God is going to do to me. Where there is a new day, there is a new king, there is a new prince that's coming. And things are going to look a whole lot different. Some translations of that verse, verse uh, 5 in Hosea, where he says that they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Some translations say that they will come and they will be in awe of his goodness. They will come back and be in awe of his goodness and his blessing. See, Hosea literally is indeed about the relationship between God and Israel. Absolutely but it's also prophetic in nature. God speaks prophetically through this man and he actually speaks into the love of God for you and I. Speaks about us in this. Okay, Craig. But then who is Hosea? God. you dig around, you can see that Hosea's name means salvation. Hosea is a derivative of Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Gomer, completion, whole, wholeness. Seems a bit odd, right? Seems like it almost doesn't fit. Hosea is our God. Gomer? Me. 
with all due respect, you as well. Us. And this God, in his persistent love, will not give up at anything to show us how much he loves us and to be in a relationship with us. In fact, he will search all over the city as Hosea did. He will go into the areas that he shouldn't be in. He will go into the lowly areas. He will go wherever he needs to find us and he will pay all that he has so we can understand how much he loves us. So Gomer, me, I came to know Jesus when I was in kindergarten. Found out about this radical love, but I couldn't comprehend. I was so young. I just knew that I was like, I want to go to heaven. Who doesn't, right? And so I went to church and for years and years went to church. And it was kind of like this monotonous thing for me. Because I felt like it was this, I have to do this thing. Like, oh gosh, it's obligation. Like, I got to go again. Sorry, mom. My mom's here today. (laughs) Have to go again. And then in high school, I started to question things and think like, is this even real? Really? Why do I need someone else to tell me that I'm like doing things wrong? I felt like the world was doing that already. And I need a God to tell me that I'm wrong? And then I'm not a good person? So I questioned And there became a place in my life where I just didn't place precedence on any of it anymore, any faith. Didn't really want to be involved in it anymore. It's almost like the children of Israel. Love, it's whatever is making me happy right now, and I'm good. I started to get wrapped up in, yeah, I was like, my life was around friends and partying and doing all of that. But then I started to develop this addictive, had an addictive personality already and started to develop an addiction to drugs. For years, and I hid it. And I despised God, like I ran from him. I ran from God, but what's was like, he always ran faster towards me than I could run. So this went on and back and forth and times I would come to church and yeah, that's good, but like, come on. It's not relevant to me. It's not me. Like, I'm not good enough anyways, right? Not good enough. This whole thing, it's just hard to comprehend and there's, I don't want to study. I study enough. But there's something that the more I really start to understand who this God was, it I started to realize that he wasn't this guy just looking down on me and trying to condemn me and tell me how much I tripped up, how much I let him down. He actually was always right there. Hindsight, I think about it, and I see all these, I could, if I looked at my life on a timeline, I would see all these instances where things happened that were so cool and so good, and I would have never, if you told me at the moment, like, oh, God is so good, I'd be like, shut up. He's not. I did this. I did this. I worked hard for this. 
I got myself into these things. Like, I've been able to accomplish these things, but it was like hindsight. I got to see God's hand all over my life. Always got to see that his love was always readily available to me. It was just, what was I going to do with that? I ran and I ran, and his love ended up captivating me. There's something more about it. There's something about this story and this reality that only God would tell me. And he started to tell me, like, I actually have so much more for you in life. You're not giving yourself credit. Like, I have created you for so much more. And you just don't see yourself as that. Stop listening to everybody else. Stop listening to the voices in your head and understand, like, I have so much more for you. You see... Jesus is my Hosea. In him I have salvation. Nothing needs to be added. He paid it all. He gave it all. So nothing else needs to be added. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I could do to not receive his love and there's nothing I could do to earn it because he just has it for me as a gift. In Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees go to the disciples. They see Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners and anybody that society would look upon as like, oh, they're not good people. Like, you don't want to hang around them. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders are there and they ask Jesus' followers, there's like, hey, um, why is your teacher eating with them? Why does he eat dinner and share space with these people? Before they could even respond, Jesus hears this. He responds. He says, <laughs> People who are well don't need a doctor, but only those who are sick. And then he looks at him, he tells him, he says, Go find out what is meant by this scripture when it says, It is kindness that I desire, not sacrifice, nor ritual or religion. I have not come for responsible people, I've come for the outcasts. That's Matthew 9.13 in the Good News Translation. What a beautiful picture. Jesus, our Hosea, surrounding himself with the least of these, the lows of lows, me. What I didn't tell you is Matthew 9.13, Jesus is actually quoting Hosea chapter 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's like Jesus right in front of them and saying, go figure out what the scripture means. You know the scripture. You can recite it, but you don't understand what the scripture means. I'm your Hosea. I'm your salvation. It's me. I'm the one. I'm right here, and I want you to know I will go anywhere, and this is who I want to surround myself with because they need me. You don't need me. You don't even really want me. You may want what is associated with me, but you don't desire me. These people desire me. They're looking for love and they're looking for something that I can provide. I am your Hosea. Open your eyes. Family, see, when we realize that we're Gomer, we're the one that walks away. And Jesus comes and he finds us.
And he pays everything for us. And we might do it again. And like me, I kept walking away and walking away and walking away. But then he still would come back for me every single time. But when we start to see ourselves like this, we start to understand we're not the only one. There's other gomers out there. There's other tax collectors out there. There's so many of us out there and they need to understand this love and they need to understand that they have a Hosea that's running for them, pursuing them, and that's looking for them and has a gift for them. Love comes in to the least likely of places. Love is not afraid of mess. In fact, love is messy. Love is messy and it jumps right in and Jesus jumps right into anything and he's like, I will meet you wherever you're at. Forget cleaning yourself up. I love you so much. I just want to sit with you right there. If you're in the mud, I want to be in the mud with you. If, we're, if you're in hurting like an area of hurt, I want to sit in that with you. I want to be with you. I love you so much. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to memorize all this scripture. All you have to do is turn your face to me. This love we've talked about for weeks, and it is a gift. But this love, this love, family, merits a response. It doesn't just merit a response for us to receive it, but it's like, what are we going to do with this love? We have this amazing gift. We have this amazing story, and we have this antidote for, to heal brokenness to heal heartache, to heal hurt, to heal loneliness. We have the secret. Not much of a secret, is it? But we hold it and it's in us and all we have to do is share it with everybody else. That Hosea isn't just running for us. Hosea is running for everybody. Jesus is running after all of us. That cross, like we talked about on Easter, is that's the big statement. That's the exclamation. That's him saying, I'm going all in. I'm giving my 15 pieces of shekel and all the wheat, everything in this auction, because I'm showing you I'm going to one-up anybody else, and I'm giving all of myself. I'm going to die for you because I love you. This love merits a response. This love puts change and transformation into motion. How are we responding? Are we knowingly like Gomer and we know this love and we come back and we get our fill but then we just leave? And then we get a little lonely again and we need that fill again so we come back and we get our fill and thanks Jesus, love you, back out. But at some point, there needs to be a point in time when we can say, all right, I'm not going to run. I'm here. Like Hosea said to Gomer, I love you. and I don't want you to do these things anymore. Like I'm going to be here for you. And I'm going to be the same thing you are to me. I'm going to do all of that as well. So may I encourage us today that there's a response, church, that takes place. We receive the love, but um, that love 
can't just be held back. That love actually has the power to transform our lives. That love has the power to breathe hope into dormant places. That love has the power to breathe faith. Six months of looking for a job. That love the other day breathed hope and faith into you where you took a stand, Karina. And you said, my God is faithful above all things. And I know he hears me. It's been six long months and I'm having to consider all these different routes of life now. But like, I know he's faithful. And what, hours later, not just one job, two. What do we do with that love? I want to welcome the worship team on up and we're going to worship together. This love has a response. I, my prayer for you today is that not only would you respond to this love and receive it, but you would allow this love to permeate even the innermost being of who you are and maybe who you thought you were, or maybe who people have spoken over you and told you you are. You would allow this love to permeate every little crevice of your inner being into where this love actually fills you and takes over and rebuilds you and restores you and allows you to become whole and breathes purpose and life into your life again. This love is for you.